coming up on Art Palace. Vincent Van Gogh reminds me a lot of Jimi Hendrix. Yeah. It seems like the analogy in that there's this guy who was otherworldly figure who played the guitar in a completely different way. And I, I feel like this painting is the best one to describe that. Welcome to Art Palace, produced by Cincinnati Art Museum. This is your host, Russell Eyrig. Here at the Art Palace, we meet cool people and then talk to them about art. Today's cool people are Stephen Gladfelter, a museum docent, and Andrew Palomera, assistant director of docent learning. Today's episode is a tour of Van Gogh into the undergrowth. You can enjoy it either from the comfort of your home or hopefully in person as you look at the exhibition with us. Special exhibition tickets are free for museum members, $10 for general public, $5 for children ages 6 to 17, and free for children 5 and under. The exhibition will also have free admission on Thursdays, 5 to 8 p.m., and during Art After Dark. If you are listening in person, make your way up to the exhibition entrance on the second floor, and we will begin our tour. So I'm here now with Andrew Palomera, uh, and your title is? I'm the Assistant Director for Docent Learning. And Stephen Gladfelder. I have been a docent since 2008, uh, so I give tours to the public on weekends. All right, and we're here to look at Van Gogh into the undergrowth. So we're at the front of the exhibit right now, and do you have any sort of intro for us before we look at the show? or? Um, I'd like to start with the first piece, okay. which is to our left, and it's a dark painting, and we can move over there. Yeah, let's go to it. And it is uh, characteristic of Van Gogh's early period while he was in the Netherlands. So we're looking at Girl in the Woods, and it's pretty obvious because it is a painting of a girl in the woods. <laughs> <laughs> they, they nailed the title on this Right, they nailed this one. <laughs> So I, when I see this painting, uh, what I notice is how much interest Van Gogh is putting into uh, the nature, the, the natural setting. And I think that that is characteristic of where he's drawing some influences from with the Barbizon school. So uh, what's that? What's the Barbizon school? Uh, Andrew, I mean, I'm, I'll be happy to take it. But the, yeah, uh, go ahead. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, we just practice like we know what that is. Every time somebody says, we go, oh, sure, the Barbizon yeah. School, of course. Yes. So the Barbizon School takes its name from a city on the edge of the Fount Blue Forest, which is to the southeast of Paris, outside the city outskirts. Um, it's, a it's a group of artists that were interested in getting away from the industry and the commerce and the city and getting back to a more natural returning to nature. It sort of coincides with, if you think about what's going on at the time, this is, you know, 19th century, mid 19th century France. You think of industrial revolution. You think of actual revolutions going mm -hmm. on. You th I mean, you know, at the period where, you know, this is, this painting was done in 1870, we're in the third Republic of France, and the fact that I have to qualify that with third tells you how many, how much unrest there is going on at the time. So this Barbizon school was interested in depicting nature and telling you something true about it. So when you are looking at it, they are showing you a scene, but they're also trying to describe to you using their paint method, 
something that they notice about the tree. And here you can see in this painting of the girl in the forest, how much detail he's putting into the trees and depiction of this strong base of the tree. And the fact that he, there's a girl in the painting, he writes in a letter to his brother Theo, I believe, that it's actually, he put her in there for scale. That yeah. was, so that, that was probably the least important part of the painting is the girl. Yeah, but without her, it is interesting because you, you could imagine these trees as much smaller and that we're kind of zoomed in on, you know, if you kind of, you know, just sort of imagine her not there, you could, these, these uh, roots would feel, I feel like a lot smaller than they do now. Like now it feels like this huge, vast forest. Um, whereas without there, it's like, yeah, it's my backyard. <laughs> yeah. So what the, what the viewers are going to first notice about this painting is what they have in their mind when they see a Van Gogh painting is an iconic Van Gogh. You think sunflowers, you think the fields of Antwerp, you think starry night. You don't think this dark painting that you see here. That's characteristic of his uh, time when he was in the Netherlands working for the first half of his career, um, which you know started in 1880. Went for uh, he had about a 10-year career uh, as a painter, um, and it didn't really get into. He didn't really start his iconic, you know, what you think of when you see Van Gogh until about halfway through his career in 1886 when he travels to Paris. Right. That's and that, that seems to be pretty common with a lot of uh, big name painters is that they start out in a mode that's very different from what they're known for. Yeah. I, and so I, I think it's really cool that we have this painting at, at the front of the exhibition to really show how someone develops from the start of their career until what we really know them by. And, and it feels like a, a somewhat in between the kind of Barbizon schools palette of much more muted browns and but then with getting into the sort of more wild brush strokes we expect from Van Gogh it's somewhere in between the two worlds I yeah. feel like of where he's going to end up and where we started from so yeah. it is an interesting yeah there, there, there's still something very visceral about the painting you can see a little bit of the impasto technique which is when there's a lot of paint built up on the surface and you can see it as opposed to just seeing uh you know, faint strokes or the picture before you see any of the paint of the brush strokes. Um, so not not as much as what you see in later Van Gogh, but there are some traces of it in this mm -hmm. one. Well, the next one I wanted to talk about was the Monet. Um, You're going to want to turn to your right and walk straight ahead to the painting on the uh, wall straight ahead. It's uh, Claude Monet, Forêt de Fontainebleau. And if you need some extra help, Claude Monet's name is signed in the bottom right corner. Yeah. <laughs> with a giant T. Yeah. Yep. The one letter you don't say is the one you say. Exactly. The most. <laughs> you put a lot of emphasis and then you don't even get to say it. What a, what a downer. Yeah. So painters are returning back to the Forest of Fontainebleau to paint what they see there in almost as an homage to the Barbizon school. So uh, Monet goes there, he, and in this painting, when I look at it, and I ask, what is the subject? What, what do you think is the subject of this painting when you look at it? Hmm. I guess to me, the subject of the painting is light, uh, like in shadow, really. I mean, I, mean I, I feel like most people would guess the trees, because that's what you see first. Right, and the, but, the, but the interesting thing when I see it, how the light is filtered through the woods, that really responds to 
where Monet goes in his career later, you know, like he's really interested in the light and the light of a particular time right. of day, especially. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's just the, the trees are so, even though they are the, you know, focal point of the painting, um, the way that the edges are kind of just not as important as the most defined thing are these little dapples of light um, and the on the ground and the way they even hit the trunks are really the only way we even see the trunk. So to me, it, it's a, it's about that light. And then, you know, seeing the inverse of that in the trees too, where we have the, the sky breaking through the right. leaves. Well, and, and the shadow plays such a big part too. It takes up yeah. a third of the painting and yeah. you, you may not even be aware of it when you look at it for the first five seconds, but you know, gradually you look more and it, there's this really big delineation. It takes up a big part of it. Mm -hmm. So uh, I was going to move on. We can talk about um, the, this, this, the next, the middle wall, as you are um, the painting undergrowth, uh, this paint, this piece is uh, a uh, blue and green uh, depiction of a forest floor, and it was painted in 1889 while he was uh, while Van Gogh was uh, institutionalized in an asylum. So it was painted on the asylum grounds. So the painting itself has an interesting story, um, and when you're looking at the painting, you see rough brush strokes you see the iconic uh uh thick thickly applied paint um you see the blues and greens and colors mixed together that you think of when you think of van gogh so this is you know after he's uh, we should probably talk about when uh he makes this change into this new style that happens in 1876 after he's traveled to paris and scene painters like Claude Monet, and scene painters like Renoir. And um, those color palettes are totally different than the earlier piece we were just looking at, Girl mm -hmm. in the Woods. Yeah, this is, this is getting definitely where I, I think most people would expect a Van Gogh painting to look like, uh, just palette-wise, and also brushstroke-wise, too, with all these like really aggressive little uh, dabs everywhere that kind of has a shimmery effect. Yeah. Well, I mean, to your point, Stephen, you see a merger of those two things because in the background you see some of the orange and the brown that's mm -hmm. in the very first painting, but then it's dominated by the green and the blue, and um, it even looks like there might be some purple in, in the tree trunks. It, it, yeah. it, may, it might be the orange too, but um, it just, yeah, it explodes. It's it's a pretty trippy painting, to be honest. I mean, the way that the tree trunks curve it. I mean, when I first saw this, I thought that some of it might have been submerged in water and it's creating reflection. And now that I, I look at it more closely, I realize I was wrong. But Yeah, I think it's all just <laughs> that ivy that's just bouncing light everywhere. And, yeah. But it is interesting if you, if you take like just about, I don't know, uh, the, if you were to imagine just the bottom half of this painting... You know, like without the top half, it just becomes a completely abstract piece, doesn't it? Oh, like totally. It's just a field of, of color. It's, it's like, like the Monet's water release, where mm -hmm. he gives you enough to have a toehold into the picture to mm -hmm. have an understanding of the, what you're looking at. Right. But that's it. You just have this tiny little sliver at the top, and that's, that's where your eye can enter the piece. Yeah. Yeah. 
It's kind of an interesting exercise to put your arm up around one half and see what it looks like compared to just focusing on the bottom half. But, yeah, we should, yeah. And we should say put your arm up by yourself, not like yes. actually close to the painting. Or <laughs> no, anything, don't you know, do that. You'll make security very unhappy if you do that. <laughs> very frowned upon in museums. Yeah, yeah. Don't put your arms like anywhere near the painting, but no. yeah, you can block it up close to your own head. <laughs> du double arm's length in yes, this case. Yes. But, yeah. So the, this painting also has two companions. The next one that I want to show you or take you to gives you an understanding of how controlled and how thought out, how uh, uh, practiced Van Gogh was. His painting wasn't, you know, even though his brush strokes in this painting especially appear haphazard or accidental, they were not. He was very studied. And we have what we believe to be a study for this piece or, or a sketch that you would do in preparation of doing a final finished piece. And that's right around the corner here. Right. Because otherwise you're approaching my kid could do that territory and yeah. that's not necessarily fair so, yeah. yeah okay so we kind of uh, we walked to the left of the painting and then sort of turned or flipped around <laughs> this is really hard to describe isn't it where we are but this one is called uh, tree trunks with ivy also by van gogh and in this piece you see the same scene you could actually recognize the same uh tree trunk the mm -hmm. same curvature of the tree trunk Similar cropping, you know, it's you're you're focusing in on the forest floor. Uh, same, similar paint handling, you know, it's uh, has rough brush strokes, has thickly applied paint, um, little smaller in scale, but it's clearly done at the same time in the same place. And, and so, for that reason, it's interesting to compare these two by the same painter. Mm -hmm. One being a finished work, and one being not necessarily unfinished, but just like a practice piece to, in preparation of doing a final piece. So he's working out his composition. He's working out, you know, what, uh, the, the, what he thinks about the scene, where he's, where, what, you know, what's important to him. He sees this tree that he becomes the focus point of the other painting. Um, it, it also seems like it's a way for him to figure out what, the texture should like should look like in the mm -hmm. final form. Yeah, the ivy comes across as much more reflective in the first one we looked at. I think yeah. like here it's it's it. I mean, there's little areas that feel like they're bouncing light, but not quite as much as that kind of bright white light that we get. I think in the one we just came from. Yeah. No, th this looks more like it was carved into. Yeah. Rather than added on. Yeah. Mm. Any other smart things? Well, uh, <laughs> you got any other smart Crickets. thoughts? Smart, smart guys. What else you got? Uh, I'd like to talk about some other post-impressionist painters that are contemporary to Van Gogh. Okay. And so for that, I think the Surat would be a good piece. Yeah. So if we move around here, in front of the park bench, there is a Surat painting, um, and again, this is uh, the uh, a painting of a tree. So there's, you know, this is obviously. a dominated by trees. You have a, a, a mostly green background. And Surat is the painter, if you uh, are familiar with the Sunday afternoon on the island of Grand Chat, the pointillist piece um, that's in the Chicago Art Museum. Um, Surat is interested in color study. So, you know, Van Gogh is seeing all of these different contemporary painters um, and being influenced by 
how they are how they're working. Um, you know, that's one one thing that uh, can't be understated about Van Gogh is that he is uh, he he consumes art. You know, he's a he goes to museums and looks at other painters avidly, and we know that from his letters. So uh, there's some pieces in here that we can um, know that he's written to other his friends and family about looking at other artists. Um, but this, so the Seurat has the, the color study of the pointillism, what the, the purpose being that when colors mix in your, allowing the colors to mix in your eye and not on the canvas. So he's um, using individual little points to allow your color, the colors to mix in your eye, believing that if you're using pure color on the canvas, it creates a more vivid impression in your mind's eye. It does. It's, it's interesting. I was just thinking about how all of the paintings uh, in the show are sort of dealing with the visual noise of the forest, you know, and it's I was just thinking about that is that they're the, the forest is literally such a quiet place, but then visually it becomes so noisy. So you have Van Gogh's brush strokes here, the, the dotting of Seurat, and we get to see other artists, how they deal with that idea. But it's interesting that it's this very complicated, dense thing, but it also lends itself well to this abstraction that we're kind of moving towards in art history as well. Yeah, and that, that's a good way to put it, because anyone who experiments with Photoshop or even Instagram, you can add a noise filter to right. your photos, and it looks a lot like this painting. Yeah. It also, what you, what you just said, Russell, speaks to what's going on in Van Gogh's mind. You know, you have this, in when he's painting in the asylum, you know, he's it's a period of healing for him, right? Mm -hmm. But he's got these rough brush strokes and this swirling of color. And in this Seurat, that it's relatively peaceful and serene as an appearance. It comes off as like a very quiet painting in that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely compared to the Van Goghs, definitely. Yeah. yeah. So FYI, when you're standing in front of it, maybe five or six feet away, with the lighting, you can't see the top of it as much. And just a forewarning, if you think that sitting down on the bench behind you is going to make it better, it will not. <laughs> you actually just get more glare. It will make it worse. <laughs> but hey, if you're, you're, your dogs are barking, you know, it's yeah. a great relief for that. Or if, if you like light uh, obscuring you, big chunks of painting. You know what I love to do? I love to go to the museum and just see the paintings just washed out by, by the, the lights. It's just my favorite thing. Who doesn't? Yeah, my favorite experience. <laughs> I, I thought the next painting we should talk about is the Gauguin, sure. because it, they were such good friends. And so we are turning around and walking pretty much directly behind where we were. Words, Sunken Path, Wooded Rise by Paul Gauguin. So Gauguin and uh, Van Gogh lived together for a period, um, and this was a, uh, they had a, you know, a difficult relationship. Um, for the people who know the story of Van Gogh, this is the end of their, their, that period of them living together culminated in him cutting off his ear. And so, that, so that's a, there's a personal relationship between these two artists. So they certainly looked, they worked together. They painted the same scenes together. So this is someone that he was looking to and influenced by. And so this painting was, was done before uh, Van Gogh came to uh, Paris. But you see, again, the same the forest scene, you see uh, how, Go how Gauguin is um, 
you know, moving towards this, the same brush work that you see in other artists in the, that we consider post-impressionists. Yeah, but you know, this one is much more dry and texture and, and, and aesthetic than a lot of the others that we've looked at so far. I mean, it almost looks like it was done with oil pastel or colored pencil or something. I mean, it's, it's very faint in saturation and contrast. Yeah, but it does a, the it has a pretty different palette too. I think than what a lot of the other paintings we've looked at, in that it's bringing out this like pretty intense orangey pink colors. Yeah, um, that you ha we haven't seen before. You know, where I think the other artists we've looked at have relied more on uh, a realistic brown of, of a forest yeah. floor. Here, we're uh, we're getting some of Gauguin's like imaginative uh, colors, which if you've you've seen the Gauguin in the permanent collection with its very colorful palm trees are, are sort of related, I feel like. Yeah. And if at this point in the exhibition you're really sick of the color green, this gives you a <laughs> break. A little bit of a break. <laughs> <laughs> There's more to come though. <laughs> well, let's let's look at um, how Van Gogh handles uh, trees in his late period here. Okay, so we're walking, we just walked to the left of the painting and heading farther ahead towards, what's this one called? This is Tree Trunks in the Grass by Vincent Van Gogh. And These are really outlandish titles. I don't, <laughs> I know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's, what I love about this painting is where I, I look at this work and again, you know, looking at Van Gogh's career and how short this iconic period of his, you know, what you think of when you see a Van Gogh was, and then you look at this tree trunk and it makes you wonder, what would he have done with another 20 years of a career? I mean, mm -hmm. the, that it, it's, it's showing you the roughness of, and the texture of the tree trunk and the blockiness of the bark but it's just got all of these colors that you don't see necessarily when you think of when you see tree. And it's just, it's going towards like this abstraction of nature. You know, that's what all of these artists are trying to get back to is they're, they're, they're picking up on the romanticism, um, the romantic movement in France, and they're picking up on getting back to this, this nature and finding out something, trying to tell you what they see about the natural world. Right. And, Van Gogh is just seeing all of this, you know, interesting, uh, you know, texture and color and depicting something that looks like it might be headed towards total abstraction. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, before we started recording, I was telling you that Vincent Van Gogh reminds me a lot of Jimi Hendrix. Yeah. It seems like the analogy and that there's this guy who was otherworldly figure who played the guitar in a completely different way and really redefined what rock and roll music was and I, I feel like this painting is the best one to describe that analogy because these tree trunks on the left have virtually every color that you could imagine mm -hmm. and they don't even look like tree trunks they look no. like abstract paintings in the shape of tree trunks <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah I mean these tree trunks are just absolutely bonkers yeah right like this is like the craziest thing in this show I think every time I come to this painting I just go like this is nuts. I know. They, they, they don't have much dimension to them. They're very flat, but the color is insane. And, I mean, to your point, like Jimi Hendrix, it makes me wonder, like, what he could have done if he had had yeah. 20, 30 more years in his career. Well, and they seem so, like, I mean, ahead of their time and that, you know, 
if you just took those tree trunks and placed them, you know, next to like some cubist paintings, you know, they wouldn't feel like totally out of place. Oh, right? not at all. Yeah. You know, like they, they're, they are so ahead of their time in that way. But then it is funny because they are like the rest of the scene is, is relatively, I mean, it's still wild for its time, I guess, but compared to those tree trunks, it's like there's two different things happening, which is really interesting. Yeah, that's, a, that's another one. You could close your left eye, focus on the right side, and then do it again oh, yeah. with the left. And yeah. It's an explosion of color. I think what's, what's interesting to me, too, about this is a lot of times artists play with this idea of varying degrees of abstraction, and this is like completely flip-flopped of how... They usually get away with it, which is that as things recede in the background, you get to abstract things more because right. you want to draw attention to the foreground. And so you, you define that thing more. Um, and so this is so weird because the trees in the background are actually the ones that feel like defined in the way we would expect trees to be defined. And then the ones in the front are the ones that are just like exploding and going nuts. Yeah, that's a good point. And so <laughs> it's so weird because it's opposite. And so it's so, it's so strange that the, the so as you get closer to the thing, you would think it to become clearer, and here it's 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 becoming less clear. It's it's an interesting point, Russell. The uh, it makes it reminds me of when I've toured this piece and asked people what they see in it, and when the first thing they say is a road, it makes me wonder. Like <laughs> that's the least important part of it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just but, like it's something they can grasp on. Something right? that you can, yeah. Exactly. It's like, I know the word for that thing. Yeah, there's a road. Like, I don't even know what I'm looking at over here. So, yeah. like, let's just go back there where I can focus. Yeah, it's like I remember during, uh, I think, the dose and training, they were talking about the rose bush. And I was just like, the rose bush? Like, what? Who cares about the rose bush? Like, there is, like, insanity going on. It would be yeah. like if somebody ran into the room naked and screaming, and then you were just like, oh, did you notice that gum wrapper on the floor? Like, no, I didn't. I noticed the naked screaming person. Like, the rose bush. <laughs> You'll never look at this painting the same way again. <laughs> And it's like right up front, you know? Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, let's talk about the highlight of the show then to close. Then. Wouldn't, wouldn't it be funny if we didn't talk about this painting? I, I know. Yeah. It's like, eh, we've seen this one a couple yeah. times. Who oh, cares? You know. Yeah. So if you, just on the wall cat a corner, you have undergrowth with two figures. Yeah, we're just turning to our right, and it's right there. And, you know, this, uh, this, the piece that we were just looking at and Undergrowth of the Two Figures were both done at, a peri at the very end of Van Gogh's life and career. This is a two-month period that if you had, if it was like a microcosm of a macrocosm of his career, it sort of describes everything. You know, he went through these periods of uh, manic, you know, frenetic painting that he just turn the work out and and this period he did something like 200 pieces of art over the two-month period mm -hmm. which is pretty incredible if you think about it that, that just the sheer you know that's sketches and drawings and paintings as well but that's kind of the whole thing uh and this painting is also notable for its double square format which is representative of a, a dozen or so paintings in the same format at the same period that he did uh, and double square meaning it's rectilinear uh, and it's two, uh, you know, it's twice the length of its height. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it creates a panoramic view into this forest of purple and blue trees and dark 
undergrowth in the back with this brightly lit, you know, uh, scene of spring with daffodils and spring flowers, right, in the foreground. So you have this panoramic view, but it's sort of, there's like a conflict there with the vertical tree, you know, the verticality of the trees. It's almost like there's, there are prison bars that are, are uh, holding the scene in or feeling, you, you feel constrained somehow when you look at it. Um, with the horizon line being so far at the top of the painting, you're focused downward again, like the, like the other pieces that we were looking at. And it creates a, uh, there's a tension there within the piece. Yeah, I, th I think that's something that's pretty common with a lot of the paintings in this show. If, if you feel like you're looking at all these and wondering how is this different from a landscape or is this a landscape? And what's common among a lot of them is that the foreground dominates so much of the space in comparison to the background, and this is a good example of it. This is one too, I, when we were talking about the very first painting, we talk about the figures in the painting, um, and you know, he put the girl in there simply for scale, and I mean, maybe this, he actually doesn't really talk about the figures in this painting when he writes about it a whole lot, so we don't really know what his intentions were, but I mean, for me, it just, it changes this painting so much. It becomes very social suddenly by these, you know, these two figures here. It like, and it's so it mysterious that it you can go a million different ways, but it certainly doesn't seem like, oh, just for scale. You know, it right. seems like very, I mean, it bears a lot of weight for me. No, they're, the, these fig they're, they're, the figures are ghostly. Yeah. And they're also dead center right in the middle of the painting. They're, yeah. They're, so... There, he's definitely saying something about that. And it's, it gives you a really, you know, like what is going on there? What are they doing in the woods? And it looks like they're, they're dressed in, you know, maybe they're, maybe there's a wedding ceremony that we're looking at or something like that. I don't yeah. know. Like yeah. what is, what is going on there? Well, in the, when we talked about the panoramic view, the, the wideness of this makes them feel extra isolated too, because it's such a wide scene and they occupy so little of it, um, it makes them feel extra alone in this world too. Um, it feels like a very empty forest, you know, that they would be walking through. Well, I, I think, I think it makes it that much easier for you to place yourself in it and relate to it a little more mm -hmm. with landscape paintings that are just the landscape and nothing else. And I'm thinking of like Hudson River School that's in Gallery 216, is that right? Sure. Yeah. I, 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 I work here. I know the gallery numbers. I think that's um, two, it's actually 217, I think. Whatever. It's, three. It's, it's in that area. <laughs> You'll find it. Yeah. Um, but it's about celebrating the grandeur of nature unspoiled by mankind, which seems a little withholding to the person that's looking at it because it's <laughs> like, you know, you can enjoy this, but you can't actually go and be here. Yeah. But th this kind of invites you to imagine what it'd be like to stand in the middle of this forest because you see people actually doing it. Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's always um, interesting also to talk about um, the flowers too and just that we know now that he originally painted some of these, the flowers that are white um, were pink originally too. Right. Um, and that he used a uh, type of pink paint that was just not very... Um, 
what's the word? Archival. <laughs> Color fast. Yeah. Color fast. Yeah, there we go. Um, and so it, it has since faded. And so uh, if you look over to the right, there's a print on the wall that will show you sort of what it would look like if if those particular flowers were pink. And it does it does change it a bit. It is interesting how you know these choices that were made maybe just haphazardly like not being super worried about the future have, have changed how we read a painting because right. I, I think the one of the things it does for me is without those pink flowers it makes those trees seem extra otherworldly because the pink sort of relates to the the purple of the trees and it kind of they feel like they are a part of this world and here it gives this much more outer spacey vibe to those purple trees mm-hmm the uh, the trees contrast with the flowers also like there's a stillness to the trees and there's a stillness to the woods in the background but with the with the brush strokes of the flowers it looks like there might be some kind of you know wind or something going on mm-hmm. and there's some there's some climatic event that's that's happening there but the trees have this stillness to them yeah, I've always in my mind, I've always imagined these trees are, or the flowers are definitely blowing around. Yeah, right. You know? That's it's, it. Looks like you can see, you can feel the wind when you're looking mm-hmm. at some of the. And I, you know, I I imagine that that's why so many people love Vincent Van Gogh's paintings is that it captures that quality without making it seem uh, like impossible to grasp. Like with with a really good painter that can capture movement, it makes you feel like you know you're. Uh, nothing compared to someone that can do that. But this this seems a little more, you, you see the human touch, I, I guess, mm-hmm. and that it, it seems like someone found a really uh, intuitive way to capture something that we've all experienced. And, it, it, and I feel like it, you can relate to him a little bit better knowing that maybe if I was a painter, I, I might have chose to capture movement in the same way. Well, thank you so much oh. for sharing this with us, Stephen. And uh, we hope you guys have really enjoyed walking through the show with us. Thank you for listening to Art Palace. We hope you'll be inspired to come visit the Cincinnati Art Museum and have conversations about the art yourself. General admission to the museum is always free and we also offer free parking. Special exhibitions on view right now are Van Gogh, Into the Undergrowth, Kentucky Renaissance, the Lexington Camera Club and its community, 1954 to 1974. The Book of Only Enoch and the Jackleg Testament, Part 1, Jack and Eve. And Employed, a staff art exhibition. A program that might interest you is Fandom on Saturday, November 26th. Fandom uses pop culture topics to discover new connections in the art museum's collection. This month, we'll be getting ready for the return of Sherlock, so prepare to use your deductive reasoning skills and solve some museum mysteries. For program reservations and more information, visit CincinnatiArtMuseum.org. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and also Snapchat. Our theme song is Offrande Musicale by Bacalao. If you liked our show, give us a nice review on iTunes, and it helps others find our podcast. I'm Russell Eyrig, and this has been Art Palace produced by the Cincinnati Art Museum.